Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. I am Lucia Matuonto, and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books, and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin. Today, we have the pleasure of traveling to West Virginia to chat with Rosiana White. Rosiana is not only a best-selling author, but also a Christie Award winner. Congratulations, Rosiana. Thank you. We are thrilled to discuss her upcoming book, A Beautiful Disguise, coming out in August. So welcome, dear Rosiana. Thank you so much for driving all the way to West Virginia for me. <laughs> I'm happy because I was getting super tired. Now I can relax and listen to <laughs> what you have to tell us. We are super excited about everything that you've been doing. And you know, it's wonderful to know about your long-standing connection to the Eastern Panhandle of West Virginia. So could you... Tell us what you appreciate the most about living in that area. I really love um, rural settings. I am not a city girl. So whenever, I, I mean, I visit cities and I'm always so happy to return to where there is green and mountains and rivers. And um, yeah, so that's that's always been what feeds my soul. And I, you know, born and raised in the mountains. So when I go to a flat place, I'm usually like, okay, there's way too much open space. Let's go back to where I'm nice and protected by mountains. So I think just the landscape is probably one of my favorite things around here. It's just so beautiful. Every time you go around a turn, there's a new beautiful vista to look at. And it's so quiet, it's so peaceful. Yes, yes. It, well, the particular spot I live in is surrounded by train tracks and highways. And so it's like, to look at it, it's peaceful, but you hear constant transportation going by. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious to know, what are your top recommendations for tourists visiting this state? A lot of people who go to West Virginia love to see the New River Gorge, and it has a very famous bridge. Usually, if you look up pictures of West Virginia, this is what you're going to see. I've actually never been there, which is hilarious, but that's the big tourist draw. Um, otherwise, it's really just popular for hiking and rafting and that sort of thing. Um, we have a, a river that borders West Virginia and another state um, where whitewater rafting is really huge. They had a world tournament of it when I was a kid there, the Savage River. 
And yeah, so it's just, it's really great for being out in nature. The Appalachian Trail goes through West Virginia. So if you like hiking, we are the place for you. During winter, it is very cold as well. Yeah. It, gets, it gets chilly. We're not as, as bad as the northern states. Um, we are usually in the in the 30 degree Fahrenheit range. So right around freezing. Okay, it's not bad. Yeah, not not awful. Not warm enough for what I would love. <laughs> if we warmed it up a little, I'd be happier. But you know. Mm -hmm. Rosiana, as a homeschooling mom, you have firsthand experience in and insights into the world of homeschooling. So could you share with us some of the most rewarding aspects of homeschooling your children and how it has impacted their educational and personal growth? Sure. Um, so I decided when I was in high school that I would homeschool my kids someday um, as a direct response to the kind of education I was getting, where I would ask a question and the teacher would say, I don't have time to answer that. I need to get these people to the basic level. You're asking advanced questions. And I had a moment and it was in a math class. And I had this moment where I went, I am not sending my kids to a school where they will not answer their questions. So instead, I just decided then and there, I'm going to school my children myself. They're going to learn as quickly as they want to learn, as slowly as they need to learn, as deeply as we can learn. And we're going to focus on the actual learning and not on memorizing facts to take a test and then forgetting it a week later. So that's what we have founded our entire homeschool on. Um, so we did a literature-based program. We read a ton, a ton of books with them over the years. Um, all the Newbery Award winners, you know, so many wonderful, wonderful books, some classic, some modern. And I just had the joy of discovering with them day in and day out. So we have now completed 13 years of homeschooling. My oldest just graduated last weekend. So the entire entire career from you know kindergarten and actually some pre-K all the way up through senior year, we did it. We did it at home and we're still doing it with my son. And so it's just been amazing to see what questions they ask, to learn with them and be reminded of things and learn things I never learned in school and um, just discover together. And I, I think one of the things I really loved seeing was how when you get into this mindset of learning and absorbing, you do it without even realizing it so that later when we get to a subject and we're reading through it, they already know it because they've gone and explored and discovered on their own. And it's like, I don't even have to teach you anymore. Just, just, just go learn, go have fun. And that's, probably been one of the greatest things and just walking every day with them. Right. So, you know, I know my kids so well <laughs> because we're each other's world in a lot of ways and that's just can't be replaced. Wow. I truly admire your commitment to homeschooling. It must require a lot of dedication and planning. It mm. does at first. And then you get into a groove and it becomes your pattern and it just repeats year after year, new subjects, but the same pattern and the same rhythm. So the first year was hard <laughs> and actually probably the first year and a half or two years was really hard. And then it just got into 
we got, we got into our groove. And since then it's just like, okay, well, each new year comes along. We just pick right back up and we just keep going. And not to say there are never challenging days because there are, uh, but yeah, generally it was one of those things that it is intimidating at the start. And once you get through that hard <laughs> trial period, it just becomes part of your daily life and it becomes routine and is always fun and is always work, but it it just becomes your day. Mm-hmm. Yes. And with your dedication to homeschooling, marriage, and your multifaceted involvement in the publishing industry. So how do you strike a balance between your personal and professional life? Yeah, it's it's um a lot of prioritizing and I am very self-disciplined. Um but it's not like I try to keep them separate. So m- most of my writing friends send their kids to public school and you know that's great for them and then when the kids are home over the summer they can't find time to write. And I'm like, "Well, here's the thing. You just do it." <laughs> and you you let them do their own thing for a while. So it was a lot of over the years, you know, prioritizing this is my writing time. So this is when mama's going to be working and you do your thing. You play with your blocks or you play with your toys or you play a video game or you watch TV for these two hours because this is mama work time. Then we start school. And then in the afternoon, I work on my cover designs or graphic designs while they're doing their independent work. And it just, you you develop a, a pattern basically. And as uh, say this belongs in this block and this belongs in this block. And those change as the years change. And at this point, my kids are totally independent in their learning. So all I have to do is like check boxes and make sure things are getting done. Um, So it has changed a lot now, but at the start, yeah, it was just a whole lot of setting up blocks of time and honoring those. Marziana, it's truly impressive how you managed you know, to write numerous books, because I was checking your website, I said, how many books does she have? It's a lot. And why, how many books do you, did you? I'm, it's in the 30s. So I think it's about 30 out, but I'm contracted through like 38 right now. So I'm never sure which one we're on because they are coming out and I'm turning them in. And... Wow, it's, it's incredible. You're juggling various other responsibilities and commitments and also homeschooling. That's incredible. I'm curious to know what inspired you to and your husband to embark on the journey of starting a publishing company. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I always wanted to be a writer and I had a book written by the time I finished eighth grade and I had another one finished by the time I finished high school and my husband and I were actually dating by then and he was always so encouraging that he was like, we'll do whatever you need me to do. I'll be your agent. I'll be your publisher. We'll just, we'll just do it. I'm like, we're going to go the the traditional route. I'm going to find some big New York house that'll give me a million dollars, you know, 
right. <laughs> dreams, <laughs> dreams. So in college, he actually worked in the college print shop where he was creating books and um, especially lab manuals and stuff. And he just loved the physical creation side of things. And so when we graduated, he was like, let's start a publishing company. And I was like, okay, that sounds like fun. Sure. Why not? I'll be the editor. He's like, and we'll start with one of your books. And I'm like, no, we won't. We'll start with somebody else's book. We're not going to start with mine. And he's like, we're starting with one of yours. Just give me one of them. And I'm like, no, of course I did. <laughs> so uh, we launched White Fire Publishing with um, one of my biblical fiction novels, A Stray Drop of Blood, and learned the entire process making the first books by hand in our basement. Oh. We bind, did the binding ourselves. We create like, yeah, we did it all ourselves and quickly learned, no, that's not how we're going to do it. Let's use a printer. Um, but so we really did just travel the entire process and learn it and figure it out. And then as I made author friends and figured out how to sell these books we'd made, um, other authors started saying, hey, how about opening up for other people? So we started opening the um, submissions, the acquisitions, and now have probably close to 200 books in print um, titles, not all mine, of course. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been amazing. Um, we've learned pretty much every side of the publishing industry at this point. And we just, we love it. We love the written word. We love the power of story. Um, story can change the world like nothing else can. It can touch hearts. And that's that's what we love. We just love helping other authors get their stories out. And yeah, we just love, love everything about <laughs> everything about books. Your new book is A Beautiful Disguise mm -hmm. from the Imposters series. And it's set to release in August. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Rosiana, can you share a sneak peek? Yeah. So the idea of the imposters is that we have a noble aristocratic brother and sister whose estates are on the brink of bankruptcy when their father dies. And so they have to get a job, basically. And this is in 1909. So a titled lord and lady do not get a job. Um, so they do it secretively. They open a private investigative firm but they don't tell anyone who's running it. They call it the imposters so that people think it's actors or something. And they spy on the elite to solve the problems of the elite for them. So they're basically, you know, a lord and lady spying on other lords and ladies in return for money from the people who hired them. Um, but they're doing it to find truth for people and to answer questions for people and to keep people honest and that sort of thing. And um, so book one, opens when the imposters have been in business for five years and lady marigold is our heroine and she has developed a persona let's say um everyone recognizes her but nobody knows her so she wears hokutor the most extravagant fashions in the world that can be found like feathers and sequins and beading all over the place um specifically so that people look at her clothing instead of her and that allows someone else to wear her clothing and not even notice it's not her so that she has an alibi when she's off doing other work. Very clever, this, this young lady. Um, but it has the dual effect of no one knows her and that's starting to weigh on her that she doesn't have close friends that really know what's going on in her life other than, you know, one or two. And how is she ever going to, you know, start a family of her own? She can't leave her brother with all this debt. 
and she doesn't know how to open up. So she has this disguise and she has chosen this disguise. And on one hand, she loves it. And on one hand, she's really come to resent what it means to her, that it's it's this burden, even though it's what she chose, it weighs so heavily on her. And I think, you know, it's this hilarious, funny, fictional thing. But that's also life today, right? We're all, we have this face we put on for social media or out in public. And it's it's partly us and it's the the you know it's the the thing we chose but it's not who we are at our core and how do we reconcile that you know the iconic large hats were so beautiful i wish i could wear those hats nowadays i have one i have and it's got the feathers and the lace and everything and i will wear it for a book signing sometimes and it's so fun it's so heavy it's like ah. I can imagine there are so many things on the top of these hats and in my research I came across the notion that hats were seen as a reflection of one's status in society am Mm -hmm. I right oh yeah sure yeah, because, I mean, you're not going to wear the extravagant hat if you work in a factory, right? So you only wear the high fashions if you are someone who can afford it and someone who has the leisure to do it. And that kind of just trickled down like, yeah, you dressed very appropriately for who you were in society in that era. And there wasn't a whole lot of crossover because things were so impractical <laughs> that if you had a very practical life, you're not going to wear these things. No. And how was the research for this book? Oh, it was a lot of fun. Um, So I've written quite a few books at this point set in this era. So I already had the general research. Um, I have huge books on fashion (laughs) and some that are specifically Edwardian fashion. So I will flip through them and just kind of drool over everything. And I have Pinterest boards and, you know, do a lot of online research. There are so many wonderful museums that have clothing um, collections that are available online. And so I will just go browsing, (laughs) like just click through and look at them all and study them. Um, What I also discovered with this one in particular was that 1909 was the year that Chanel opened her first shop in Paris. Uh, So this was really the start of haute couture as we know it now. And I just, I couldn't mention it because it didn't really fit in. It started, you know, she opened her shop two months after my book took place, but it was just that whole, the world is ripe for this. And I had so much fun leaning into that. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I'm curious to know about the characters Sir Merritt Livingstone and Lady Marigold Fairfax. So what motivated you to create these particular individuals as the protagonists of your story? And are they based on someone you know? They are not based on anyone I know in particular. Uh, I I only do that very rarely, but bits and pieces of things that have inspired me over the years from different people always make their way in. Um, So I already talked a bit about Lady Marigold, and she kind of 
<laughs> the idea for this series actually came in a dream. The only thing I could ever claim that about. Um, so I just woke up having that idea. And then um, it was actually a couple years later, I had the idea of somebody with a lot of hats. And the original title that I played with was The Many Hats of Lady M, using them symbolically as, you know, the different roles we play, but also literal hats that she's known for. So I put them together and I was like, oh, this would be fun if one of my spies used fashion as her disguise and just has this wardrobe full of costumes, basically. So I thought that would be so much fun. And then, of course, if you have somebody who is this extravagantly dressed, there's always the risk that they are overshadowed by their clothing. And then I thought, well, let's lean into that and make her deliberately overshadowed by her clothing. So that's how she came to be. And then I needed a strong hero who had a reason to hire the imposters, um, but was also, you know, I wanted him to be a bit involved in the world of intelligence and spies and espionage because I love that and it works its way into most of my books. So I discovered that um, the English uh, domestic force, intelligence force, kind of like the American FBI is MI5. And it was also founded in 1909. So I was like, Let's lead into that. So um, Sir Merritt is a Coldstream guard. So we know them as the people who stand outside Buckingham Palace with the giant black hats and the red. And we just think of them as toy soldiers. But in fact, they are the best trained military force in England. That's how they get the role of being the last line of defense for the monarch. They earn that by being, you know, the equivalent of a Navy SEAL today. So these are like powerhouse soldiers who then just stand there and guard the king, a queen, you know, was king at the time. Um, so I was like, okay, well, let's make him a Coldstream guard. And he earned his um, knighthood by rescuing missionaries during the Boxer Rebellion in China. And so he's this very noble character. And he at once does not want anyone else to have to solve his problems for him because he's very capable, but he also realizes the value of a team because he's a soldier. He relies on his fellow brothers in arms all the time. So he has encountered a question in his new role. He, he got pneumonia, got, got a desk job, and that's how he ends up in the newly formed MI5. Um, and so part of his role is uh, gathering all the intelligence officers from all the different branches into one into one unit. And that's what he's doing. But he comes across some suspicious stuff. And he needs to find the solution to who is responsible for this and what it all means. But he's sick and he's injured and he can't do it alone. So he calls on the imposters to help him. And that, of course, is how he ends up meeting Lady Marigold. And we have all the romance and all the fun and some hijinks. And mm -hmm. it's it's a lot of fun. And I have to tell you, I love hats. <laughs> so do I. I have a lot of beach hats. I have my costume hats. I recently got a cloche for a 1920s thing I was doing. And I was like, we should just wear these all the time again. And my husband's like, no. I'm like, we totally should. I'm just going to start wearing it out all the time. <laughs> Don't be surprised if you see me in a cloche. <laughs> mm, I'm having some ideas for the magazine. Anyway, <laughs> Rosiana, romance seems to play a significant role in this story particularly between Lady Marigold and Sir Merritt. Mm -hmm. What influenced your decision to intertwine their personal journeys with the larger espionage plot? I Well, I am a romance writer, so it's always going to make its way in. I can't help it. I, I, 
there's just something about a romance that is it's a great way to explain so much of life and just how we're stronger together than we are apart. And even though we should be our own people and we are our own people, when we find somebody who understands and appreciates that we become more ourselves and a stronger version of ourselves because of their love. And that's something that they get to discover and that I just like to write about all the time in various different ways. And, um, I also just love it because I, I'm a Christian fiction writer. So when you read the Bible, so many stories are either about the actual romance between people or they are the parables that Jesus chooses to use as the bride and the bridegroom. And there's a reason for that. And it's because it strikes all of us right at home, right? Like right in our hearts. And I just love writing about that because it's, it's something that we all understand whether we have gotten married or not. It's something we understand at our heart level. And that's a great way to talk about other things too, and to dive into other subjects and explore who we really are as people, because we are not anyone except how we relate to other people. So dealing with those relationships is just, yeah, it's something I love to explore. With someone who has written and published numerous books, 28, as you said, or 30. Okay. A lot. <laughs> Somewhere <laughs> in the 30s. <laughs> what advice would you give to aspiring authors who are facing rejection? We all do. <laughs> we all face rejection. Um, something that actually one of my best friends, who is my critique partner, said that just has stuck with me for years and years and years is that you have to respect your dream. So if writing is something you love, it's something you need to pursue with the same passion and the same dedication you would pursue any other career. So her husband's an engineer. He had to go to school. He had to get you know a master's degree and he had to get a job and get on job training. And that took years. Why would we expect writing to be any faster? So you have to respect that dream enough to invest in it and invest your time and try to make it the best you can be. And then another thing that I always tell everybody, and it's especially cool on this podcast with your lovely journey that you take, is that writing is a journey and your writing is a journey. Your journey to publication is not going to be like anyone else's. And that's what makes it yours. So there are going to be roadblocks and there are going to be detours and there are going to be all those things that you don't like when it's happening. But it's part of the story you get to tell about your own life. And it leads you where you need to be. So I'm one of those people who, when I was just getting started, I'd be like, oh, I want to be like so-and-so. I want to be her when I grow up. And eventually I had to realize, you know what? I'm not going to be like anyone else. My story is not going to be like anyone else's story. And that is perfect because we already have their story. Now we need mine. And so, you know, just, just travel it and enjoy the journey knowing that there is no destination, right? Like you never get there. You just keep going. And that's part of the fun is to just always be going and traveling and journeying and seeing what you discover next. Rosanna, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> you said everything that I want to tell. And where, Rosanna, can our listeners find you and of course your books online? 
Absolutely. My website is www.rosannamwhite.com. And you can find information on all my stuff there. You can also find a shop where I sell signed books and t-shirts and tote bags and jewelry and everything else under the sun that relates to my books. And um, yeah, I just, my goal is to pull you into my world and make you enjoy being there. Um, so when A Beautiful Disguise releases, you'll be able to go to Rosanna M. White slash imposters and there will be a fun little landing page there with games and articles about all the different stuff and the fashions and pictures of the characters and just all the fun things all the fun things about the story will be there you have to tell me your secrets to do everything that you do and keep smiling <laughs> <laughs> scheduling saturday mornings i sit down and write everything for my website i want to leave a message to our listeners Rosiana will be featured in our magazine in June. Don't forget to check out our website, which is www.relatable-media.com. And you will see Rosiana's picture, her books, and of course, all her contacts. Rosiana, I just want to say thank you so much. You inspired us so, so much with this beautiful smile and this positive attitude, please invite me back because <laughs> I will be always willing to go back to West Virginia. I would love to uh, visit with you again anytime. It was so much fun. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please, Rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening. And remember, relationships don't exist. Relating does. Until next time. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money.